So my parents taught me a song as a kid. Some of you that have a church background may recognize it, but it, used to, it goes like it said, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe, doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily, action is the key, do it immediately, joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Right? <laughs> It's a nice song, but it's not in line with a lot of our reality. Because I don't know about you, but for me, it started when I was a kid. My parents would ask me to do something, and out of me would come this evil response. No. Right? And I would pay for it. As a teenager, an opportunity would come before me. And even though I knew it was wrong, out of me would come an evil response. Yes. And I would end up paying for it. As an adult, you, you package it differently to make yourself feel better, but truthfully, you find yourself confronted with God's truth, and then you find yourself saying no to God, yes to yourself, and just like kids and teenagers, you pay for it. Over and over again in Scripture, we're taught that there is a simplicity of obedience. They actually put just a little equation inside of your outline, even though I don't like formulas, but it kind of goes like this. God's instruction plus our obedience equals peace. Okay? Now I want you to note something about the little equation there. On the right side of the equal sign, it does not say perfection. It does not say prosperity, much to the chagrin of my television brothers. It doesn't say easy street, a new Rolex. It doesn't even say smooth sailing. No, it says peace. Because sometimes obedience is hard. Sometimes obedience means having less. Sometimes obedience means sacrifice. But if it was really God's instruction, and you were really obedient to what God asked you to do, there's always a peace that accompanies that obedience, even when it's hard. So if that's the simple, what's the flip side? Well, I've been studying the flip side all week long, and in Scripture, if you look, there is an amazing picture of the complexity of disobedience. We're going to fly through a text today like we've never flown through a text. I'm actually going to talk a little faster than I normally do, so put on your seatbelt. Ready? Get your pen started, because here we go. For clarity on the characters of the story we're going to talk about today, to begin, King Saul is the king of Israel at this time in history. Samuel is God's spokesperson, and God is God, okay? So the story starts with this. It starts with God's instruction in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and the Bible says this. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them, put to death men, women, children, and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now, I know this should freak some of you out, okay? Just that instruction should freak some of you out because your picture of God is that of a very nice old man who sits in heaven and provides free therapy like Dr. Phil, okay? That's the way you picture God. He just loves everybody and he passes out candy to everybody that happens to pass him by. And you struggle when you hear that a loving God, which he is, would order the annihilation of an entire group of people. 
even if I told you that the Amalekites were known as the most evil culture in world history. That doesn't make it any better for all of you. You hear God order that and you freak out just a little bit. I'm gonna tell you something. I think you freaking out is probably a good thing because we as a culture have forgotten something. We've forgotten that God does have a justice side and that a holy God doesn't play around with evil. Whether you agree with them or not, God's instructions were God's instructions to Saul. We've got God's instruction and now we're going to add something. In your outline, it reads this way. If you take God's instruction plus Saul's disobedience. Verse 9 of the same chapter says this. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs. Everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So just for clarity, God told Saul to wipe out everything. Everything. What does God mean by everything? He means everything. Saul was disobedient because instead of destroying everything, he only gathered together kind of the blemished yard sale stuff that ends in the free box, you know, that stuff. He went after that stuff, sacrificed all of that, but kept all of the good stuff for himself. And here's where the story gets really interesting because God's instruction plus Saul's disobedience equals a whole range of stuff that happens in the rest of the chapter. Let's walk through it together. What does it equal? It equals, to start with, exposure. The Bible says in verse 10 of this chapter, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I'm grieved that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. God tells Samuel Saul's little secret. Have you ever heard the saying, be sure your sins will find you out? That's a true statement. It's true. Even though we, we try to cover this stuff up, right? We sin and then we plan and we process, we cover up, we think our way through it, we make excuses, we play the justification game, and it still finds a way to get out. Do you know why you can't keep your sin from being exposed? Because God won't allow it. Because God loves you too much to fool yourself into thinking that you can actually sweep this stuff under the rung. You, you know, do, do you know why we get exposed? Let me just be honest. It's because we're dumb. That's why. We're not smart enough. We're actually deceived in thinking that God's going to turn a blind eye to that. You know, we begin to tell ourselves that sin doesn't matter, but it very much does. Let's keep going. Here's what happened next. It starts with exposure. Secondly, it moves to deception. Verse 13 says this. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. Right there. More than just lying to Samuel, the sad part of that statement is Saul is lying to himself. He said, I'm good. Came up with my own plan. I'm just fine. I ignored God's instructions. No big deal, though, because I have a plan in mind. We think to ourselves, no harm, no foul. I'm just going to do it my way and see how it goes. I have a very good friend in the ministry who was caught in an extramarital affair. His moral sin cost him everything. It cost him his family. It cost him his job. It cost him his credibility. It cost him his reputation. I asked him once about the whole process 
how he got himself into the middle of it, and these were his words, and I quote, I honestly thought I could get out of it on my own. I just kept lying to myself by saying, I'm fine, it's going to work out, I can figure this out, but I was completely deceived. And that's where we find Saul. Saul's lying to himself, caught in deception, and suddenly he's caught. That's the next blank in your outline, he's caught. 1 Samuel 15, verse 14 says this. But Samuel said, now remember, Saul just said he carried out his instructions, right? Which means everything's dead, okay? This is what verse 14 says. But Samuel said, uh, what then is this bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? This passage, it just cracks me up. Samuel responds, um, so if you wiped everything out, Saul, if you did everything God told you to, why is it I can hear sheep and cows right now? Because there should be no animal sounds whatsoever because they should all be dead. Saul is caught, dead to rights. There's evidence in his ears and I'm sure in his nose as well. And instead of course correcting and coming clean, Saul does something that we all do when we get caught. Okay? He doesn't own it. In fact, he deflects it. And I use these words in your outline. He deflects it with blame shifting and minimizing. Verse 15, here's his, here's his excuse. Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. The soldiers did it. They held back the stuff. They held it back because we actually came up with a different plan, God. We actually decided we're going to throw a sacrifice party. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Happy Wednesday, God. We took all of this stuff, even though you told us to get rid of it in the beginning, and we decided we're going to make just one great big sacrificial bonfire. So the guys got together, came up with their own plan, and it's a party. Are you kidding? I mean, I give the guys extra points for creativity, but the bottom line is he's still lying through his teeth. Now, before we judge Saul, let's have an honest moment. How do you react when you get caught? I mean, you do something at work or school, you get caught, and what comes out of your mouth? Stupid boss. It's a stupid policy anyway. I can't believe my teacher actually would ask me to do that. I got a stupid teacher. Man, I've got a stupid coworker. They didn't even cover for me when I showed up 90 minutes late for work. The stupid time clock. Why do we have to punch in and out on that thing anyway? Stupid waiter, they made me two hours late because of their lousy service. Can you possibly believe it? Right? Stupid Facebook just encourages me to engage in social not working all day long. Yeah, right? I mean, you get pulled over for doing 70 in a 35 zone, and how does the story go? Stupid cop. I was just keeping up with traffic. I had a police officer here last night. He's like, amen, right? Always blaming the police officers. We blame shift, we minimize. And we don't like what comes next, but we need it. We need it. What comes next is a confrontation. 1 Samuel 15, verse 17 says this. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, you did not become the head of the tribes of Israel. 
The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you wipe them out. Why did you not obey the Lord, Saul? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? This is the tough part, because Samuel lays out the facts. Said Saul, you were anointed. God made you king, and with authority comes responsibility. He gave you marching orders and a mission. He told you exactly what to do. You disobeyed the orders, and now you're caught. You'd think that Saul would finally get it, but no. Look at what happens next. He actually starts whining. Verse 20 says this, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Oops. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. He still won't come clean. I have a very good friend who's a Hebrew professor in Jerusalem. He said, Grant, the Hebrew language is amazing because if you truly understand it, you can understand voice inflections as they're wrapped inside of the text. He goes, I would translate that verse to sound this way. But I did. I did. I did wipe it out, most of it. And I did bring back Agag, but I didn't think that was very wrong. It was the soldiers' fault. They did it. He says, the party was their idea. I wanted to wipe them out. But, 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 but. Find these endless fits of whining and complaining. Don't we do the same sometimes? God tells you to share your faith with your coworker. Well, I don't want to do that, God, because I don't want to offend anybody. But, 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 but. God tells you to love your neighbor as yourself. But they're not very lovable, God. And besides, I've got all this other stuff to do this weekend. And, and anyway, but, 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 but. Once the endless fits of whining and complaining subside, we finally get down to the correction. The correction happens in verse 22. The scripture says this, but Samuel replied. This is the key part of the whole verse, the whole chapter. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord. He's rejected you as king. You know, I'm reading this this past week and I'm thinking to myself. No, uh, disobedience has a way nicer ring to it than rebellious, arrogant idolatry. Doesn't it? Well, I just disobeyed God. No, I was a rebellious, arrogant idolater because I believed my plan was better than God's plan and I decided to go with mine. It's tough words, isn't it? That's tough truth. Let me read it again. Let it ring in our ears this morning. In Bellingham and in Ferndale, this is what it says. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Let's make this practical. You came to church here today to offer a sacrifice of praise. 
the question that begs to be asked is this. Have you done with obedience over the last six days? Because that's what God's looking for. How have you done with obedience? Were you obedient this past week? Or were we guilty of rebellious, arrogant idolatry? This scripture said God wants our obedience first. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Finally, you get 24 verses into the chapter and Saul finally comes clean. Verse 24, we find the admission. Finally, the admission. Verse 24 says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. There it is, finally. Saul says, I sinned. I was disobedient. I was rebellious. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Last week I told you, and I, I may, I, man, I've never held this back. One of my biggest weaknesses is I'm a people pleaser. That verse scares me to death. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Saul decided at that moment that it was more important for him to keep everybody liking him than to please God. That's a scary verse for a people pleaser. Saul sinned. And in verse 26, we find the consequences. This is tough. It's the final blank there. Verse 26 says, But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. We have to notice something here. There are consequences for disobedience. Saul lost his role as king over Israel. Now I want you to notice, God rejected him very specifically as king. He never rejected him as a person. In fact, I believe God was constantly calling to Saul, asking him to come back, to leave his disobedience and come back into alignment with God. I believe God was trying to teach Saul a very valuable lesson that we all need to learn. And the lesson is this, when we sin, we lose. We lose. I mean, just think about it. If I was to break my wedding vows today, there would be consequences. I wouldn't get to do this anymore. If you cheat on your taxes this year, there are consequences for doing that. If you decide to do something that goes against what God's will is for your life, there can be consequences for doing that. And some of you got your hand up saying, okay, so where's the forgiveness here? You know, there is forgiveness. At the end of the chapter... Saul is allowed to come back and worship God one more time. But the heartbreaking thing is, he never, ever gets his kingdom back. He never gets his kingdom back. It's never restored. And this is the tragedy of the life of Saul. He never corrects the course of disobedience in his life. He follows the same pattern over and over and over and over again. He keeps following his path and ultimately he destroys his own life because he never gets a clue and chooses to be obedient. And we get to learn from his mistakes. So what does this have to do with us? I mean, we love this Old Testament stuff because it's easy to dismiss, right? That's thousands of years ago. It's no big deal. That was for Saul. It's not for me. Really? Let's just take a look at this. Look at the simplicity of the obedience at the top of your outline, okay? When you're in Bellingham, look at the simplicity, and then look at the complexity of disobedience. Which one do you think is going to work better in your life? I mean, one seems very simple. 
the other. Look at everything that comes out of a single moment of disobedience. What do you think is going to work easier for you over the next week? Let's ask this question. We'll put it up on the screens. Will you give yourself away to simplicity of obedience or the complexity and the heartbreak of disobedience? Now, before you just put your hand up and go, I'm obedient. I'm obedient. I'm a good per church person. I'm good. I read my Bible. I showed up this morning. I'm, I'm obedient. We're good. The answer is always Jesus. So my answer today is Jesus and obedient. I'm good. Let's just do a gut check before we just throw ourselves in the obedient category. Because if we say we're obedient, that means we should have no problem with Ephesians 4.29 that says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen to you. How did we do last week? When the office gossip started, or somebody did something embarrassing, <coughs> obedient or not. Let me read the next one. This one ought to get me some mail this week. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. How are we doing there, family? Before, obedient. Are you sure? How about this one? 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits outside of his body, but he who sins sexually against his own body. How do we do with that one? How about Galatians 6.2? Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When somebody around you is hurting, did you get up underneath the load and lift with everything that you could? Or did you just hope and pray that somebody else would do it? Acts 2.38 Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what was your response when I just read five verses? Did you deflect and minimize? Did you start whining? Did you start formulating the letter that you're going to write me? I didn't say it. God did. May Christ the King be a church that says, I'm fully obedient. I follow God every step of the way. I will be faithful in everything that he's asked me to do because I know that that simplicity of obedience will always bring me peace. It may not bring me ease, but it will bring me peace. In a few moments, I'm going to pray and I'm going to dismiss those who are getting ready to be baptized today. And I'm going to get you to follow Pastor Melanie right now up that hallway and they're going to gather you up in the back there. But Christ the King here in Bellingham and here at Ferndale... What's going to happen in the next couple of minutes is a moment of sheer obedience. 
The people who are being baptized this morning have made a decision to cross the line and be obedient to God. My question is, have you made the decision to do the same? In all of the areas that we've talked to, I was amazed even last night as we kind of walked through. When I started reading the scriptures at the end of the message, it got really, really, really quiet in here. Because suddenly... We held up a mirror, and we looked a whole, whole lot more like Saul than we thought we would. It's not between me and you. Believe me, God's been holding up a mirror for me all week long. This is between God and us when it comes to our obedience. My prayer is that God would find us faithful and obedient, and that we would be able to embrace the peace that comes with that. So as we get ready to transition to baptisms, would you pray with me?